Hey, so I know you did the everyday mobility course this hey. week. Hey. Hey, Kurt. <laughs> hey, this is Mike from Fieldcraft Survival. Uh, I'm here with Kurt from Fieldcraft Survival, and he did an everyday mobility course where you overlanded and off-road and tested all your... Did a bunch of stuff. All the crap that's on your vehicle. <laughs> yeah. All the it's expensive... It's not crap. No, no. It's, that's, that's the whole point of this, right? Yeah. It's not crap. Yeah, so, uh, and actually before I went and did the Overland Mobility course, uh, we had installations done at Pelfrey Built for our front rear bumpers, armor on our vehicles, and so I got the opportunity to head into the, I think it's the Havasupi uh, Basin. Did you say Havasupi? Yeah, it's, it's, (laughs) (laughs) it's a place in Arizona where you can go and tear the crap out of your vehicle, apparently. Uh, I tried to do that and I had my Pelfrey built armor on and it protected the underside of my vehicle, the side of my vehicle, and a lot of other things that potentially could have got really jacked up. So I was pretty happy that uh, their armor withstood my test, uh, which Mike, you know, our other Mike, Mike H from Philcraft, drugged me through. And then I was joking with him saying I had another trip to do and I had to make sure that my vehicle made it. but. Uh, my armor on my vehicle is what honestly allowed me to make the second trip. So, super hey, if you guys happy about that. Well, Kurt's happy. I'm happy for mine as well because I saved a lot of weight and uh, understand now that my vehicle can get 12 miles per gallon instead of eight. <laughs> and so, if you guys are interested in Pelfrey Built, it's pelfreybuilt.com. That's P E L F R E Y B I L T.com. Use the coupon code Philcraft and save 10%, which in that industry, in that space, is a lot of moolah, yeah. especially when you're looking for quality stuff to put on your uh, rigs. Yep. Uh, also, the sponsor um, ad is brought to you by Basemap. Uh, look, we're planning a trip to Alaska where we're going to basically the road of no return that goes to <laughs> we the hope Antarctic we return. Ocean uh, or the Arctic Ocean. And um, we are. You should uh, say the Antarctic Ocean. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I got a picture of the Antarctic <laughs> in my mind. I was like, wait, that's Antarctica and that's not the ocean. It's the Arctic. What was ocean. the picture? Was it like a penguin and a <laughs> it was a polar bear a whale eating ice cream? Pe- yeah. And then I was by myself eating ice cream and hiding. <laughs> yeah. Um so if you guys are interested, Base Map actually has desktop and mobile navigation. You actually can plan out your route. You could do all the stuff on the fly with offline maps, which is really important when you're off grid because on grid you have reception yeah. off grid you don't have anything so you need offline maps in fact i used to navigate a lot overseas on my ipad on my iphone and when you're doing that um without offline maps it's detrimental to operations. difficult it's very difficult so hey you guys could use their i, I recommend that you guys download the app and try it out uh, you could try it at app.basemap.com it's app.basemap.com or go on to the Android or the iOS Apple Store and download it. Yeah, man. So uh, we're excited about several courses that we have coming up uh, at Fieldcraft Survival. The 18th in Prescott, Arizona is a free survival seminar for anybody that wants to come up to the area. Uh, You can go online at our website, fieldcraftsurvival.com and sign up for that. You can sign up for any of these courses at fieldcraftsurvival.com. Uh, next up after that, on the 25th and 25th of August, we have a gunfighter pistol course in Prescott, Arizona. Um, go, you know, again to fieldcraftsurvival.com to sign up for that. 26th, you've got gunfighter carbine. Uh, we'll be down at Cowtown, Arizona, which is in Peoria. 
Uh, Mike and I will, will be at all of these courses teaching. Uh, we just dropped a uh, what what weekend in September was that? Sorry, I'm having so it's a, the eighth and ninth. Yeah, eighth and ninth of September up here in Prescott. We're going to run an overland mobility course up here. Uh, the weather was a little hot down in Wickenburg, and the locals were interesting. So we decided to do it up here. And then the 15th is a gunfighter pistol in Ceres, California, which is near Modesto, California. And the 16th is a gunfighter carbine. Again, you can sign up for all those at fieldcraftsrevival.com. You're probably following us on social media. If this is the first time you're looking at the podcast, you can find Mike at mike.a.glover. You can find me at Kurt underscore Team Fieldcraft, the company at Fieldcraft Survival. And you will see everybody else that works with our company and everything we're talking about and trying to educate people on. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> also, YouTube, I'm out of breath. YouTube. YouTube. If you guys are uh, interested in watching videos, look, one thing that we've determined is if we're putting out information via podcast um, or via uh, some medium, we, we want to give you the long version of it because we want it to, to be in depth and for you guys to get the point not just to get a uh, little bit of clickbait. We, yeah. don't, we don't believe in uh, temporary solutions to permanent problems that we deal with, especially in preparedness. So check out the YouTube channel. It's the Phil Craft Survival channel on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you guys follow. Um, yeah, this is going to be a good podcast. It is. Get ready. Get set. Go. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. And I'm your co-host, Kurt. How come you got a bassy mic? Your, your mic's like super bassy. I think it's my voice is a little bit deeper. I, <laughs> I, I came into, I further came into manhood after this weekend based off of some, some interesting encounters with some locals after our everyday mobility. Course. I heard about that. Yeah. We'll save that for the shooting the shit podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty yeah. epic. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> um, today we're talking with uh, one of our guests who actually. So this is how this happened. Like, no shit. I was watching uh, Cartel Netflix. Man. Netflix. Yeah. I was, <laughs> you were Netflixing, Netflixing and chilling. <laughs> and then uh, I was sitting on my ass. And, I, and I've actually seen Cartel Land before. I've actually seen it before. But everything just started coming together. It was like a, a fucking montage. Were you on LSD? <laughs> I, I wish. I wish I was on LSD. But I was sitting there and I was watching... Uh, the documentary and then I started getting all motivated and shit because I'm like there was a part of me that saw myself in Tim because Tim Foley who is our guest who's sitting across from me but I'm, I'm just laying this out this like <laughs> painting a picture I feel like you're bromancing on Tim right dude, now dude I, I am <laughs> my girl yeah I, I, I definitely am bromancing I I uh, you know when I got out you need Kurt you know this when I got out of the military I went to Libya as a contractor right. and then started working around, but I had a whole bunch of Iraqi buddies who were like fighting the fight. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like, I'm going over there and fucking killing some ISIS. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm just doing some things that I believed in. And uh, I saw that in Tim, um, as far as his passion for the country, his passion for what he believed in. And uh, on the documentary, if you're not familiar with it, uh, Cartel Man, which is actually a really good documentary. It's it a award-winning yeah. documentary. They kind of do, um, uh, you know, t Tim's side, which is on the Arizona border. Right. And then they do the Mexican cartel side right. and what they're dealing with on the other side. Right. And, uh, you know, Tim Foley, who's our guest today, is, you know, the head and founder of the Arizona Border Recon. Um, and those guys are, you know, ArizonaBorderRecon.org are on the border of Mexico. And 
you know, he went out uh, in this documentary and was basically patrolling the terrain on his own. Yeah. When it started the documentary, it was by himself. Yeah. And then as things started getting picked up, he started adding dudes to his task organization. Yeah. And so we're going to get that story and get into a whole bunch this more. Is gonna be, this is going to be good because, I mean, as Tim knows, as we all know, this is a highly controversial topic. Um, and I'm glad we're talking about it because it does need to be talked about. Uh, I, I'm excited to hear Tim's opinion, uh, his, you know, reality, fact-based, uh, you know, it's not philosophy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not like yeah. pretending like, hey, I live up in, uh, you know, some nice city in the suburbs and I have an opinion about the border and what's going on there. It's like, hey, man, this dude lives there uh, and he works that area every single day unless he comes up to do a podcast with Fieldcraft, <laughs> yeah. which we're appreciative of. But uh, highly controversial topic. Um, it's in the news right now. Uh, because the commander in chief, the president of the United States, is actually talking about shutting down the government unless Congress and the Senate basically support, you know, uh, what he promised he was going to do for the American voter, which was essentially build a wall and increase border security. So um, this is all, you know, the timing of this all. We didn't we didn't time it that way. Like I was listening to the news the other night which I rarely do because I hate most of them. Um, and I was like, whoa, this is going down right now and we're gonna have Tim as a guest. So this is, it's interesting. Uh, I've actually been down to the border area. Tim and I were having a cool discussion uh, prior to, to jumping on and recording. I've been down to the port of entry in Nogales, um, know some ICE guys down there that were working the border and I've seen a bunch of different things uh, also south of El Paso. And the reason why we were out there was uh, I was with my boss at the time. I was still on active duty and we were just looking for different uh, areas to do some training for uh, for some long gun stuff. And so I got the opportunity to go down and kind of see what that was like, which was hugely eye opening in the sense of I was right down in the Rio Grande River and the property that we were visiting, there was like a chicken wire fence that separated the United States of America from Mexico. And I mean, the ability to travel back and forth. I mean, it's, it, there's nothing. Um, and so you can, you know, if I wanted to, I could have hopped right over the fence and headed right down into Mexico and had some, you know, carne asada. No, but it, but it, but it highlights a lot of things that are going on. So I'm excited about this one. Yeah. So Tim, welcome to the podcast, man. Well, thank you. Uh, anytime I can awaken people, I'm, Willing to travel distances to do it. I like that. Awaken. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, we, our podcast is doing really well. Hopefully, there's a, a lot of feedback on this. I already got a list of questions off of our social media that I, that I put <laughs> yeah. out yeah. saying people ask questions. Some of them are stupid, but some of them are actually intelligent questions. Tim, let's start out because, you know, a lot of people who haven't even seen Cartel Land don't know the, the foundation and the base. Uh, so tell us about your background and tell us how you started uh, the Arizona Border Recon. Background, uh, I'm older than most people. <laughs> uh, in 10 days, I'll turn 59. All right. Uh, I was in the military back in 79. Uh, I did a stint with the 82nd Airborne, and then I got out and went into construction. And I did construction for the following 30-some-odd years. And... Uh, what got me down there was I was tired of the two lies that I kept hearing on the news and that the government was telling us, which was the media was saying, 
they're just coming and doing jobs Americans won't do. And while I was in construction, and after 30 some odd years, you know, I climbed the ladder where I was building high rises and uh, in Phoenix, and seven, I was running 150 man crews. And out of the 150 man crews, 75% uh, of them couldn't speak English, I had to have an interpreter. And so once a week we would do the uh, safety meeting with all my foremen and you know, you've got to schedule to keep building these things, you know, it's one week of floor and it's a tough schedule to keep. So I'd ask my guys, how many are you missing? And they'd say, I'm missing two, I'm missing three, I'm missing five. And it's like, what happened? They get drunk and they can't show up. They go, no, they got caught by E-Verify. And so their social security numbers didn't match who they were, so they got laid off. Mm. So three weeks later, the same guys would show up on the job. Mm. Well, I was going, well, what the hell's going on? I asked my interpreter, I said, ask him. Mm -hmm. He goes, well, you know, we decided to take a couple of weeks off and then uh, we just went out and bought a new social security card, new ID, went down, gave 50 bucks to the union and it's going to take them another three months before they catch us. So myself, with probably most Americans, were under the impression that uh, E-Verify, once it found out you weren't allowed to be working here, that you would be deported. But E-Verify, all it says is, well, you can't work here, but it's okay if you hang out. So these guys, every three months, were taking two-week vacation and then turning around and coming back and going to work, whereas I, if I busted my ass... To get the job completed, I was lucky if I could take a two-week vacation before the next one started. Mm. So then uh, 08 happened. The financial... Yeah, the financial, yeah, which the hit the Arizona, hit Phoenix, oh, Scottsdale, the whole area, freaking mm. smashed it. I got freaking hammered. Right. Uh, which was another bank-created nightmare. Right. Uh, but that's another story. Uh, in my uh, zip code, there was over a thousand foreclosures. Wow. And I had a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, and my house lost 190000 in 13 months. Wow. And so uh, I said, you know, this is bullshit. So I had a foreclosure sale, and everybody's come by, what's a foreclosure sale? Well, I had the place for five years, and I was remodeling, and I said, you see anything? Name it. I'll rip it out of the freaking wall. I sold, I pulled the kitchen out. I pulled, just, I said, I'm not going to take a complete bath on this. So I sold as much as I could. I sold my three Harley-Davidsons, you know. I was the good American citizen. I had the little white picket fence, the three-bedroom, two-car garage with the swimming pool, and I paid the taxes and did my vacations with the pictures on the beach. And so I was a good little sheep. <laughs> and uh, <coughs> so when that happened, I was going, you know what, screw this shit. The first lie was wrong, so now I'm going to go see if the second one was a lie. Mm -hmm. And uh, that one was coming from the government at the time, which was the Kenyan. But, uh, <laughs> which was, it's safe and secure. Right. The border. So I decided I sold everything, went down to the border, and when I got there, I said, you got to be kidding me. And it's like you said, the only thing it'll keep out is horses and cows. Right. And that's about it. Yeah. And that's where there is a fence. There's spots where I'm at where you have to look at one mountain, there's a monument on it, then you have to look the other direction, there's a monument on it, and you have to... 
align yourself between those two and that's the border. Right. There is no fence. Yeah. And uh, so I went down there and the first two months I was there, I lived So you in, just closed shop. I mean, you literally... I packed up. I said, I'm done You took this. all your... Yeah, you sold all your stuff. You, I'm done. And you left. I don't want to be a good sheep in American or good tax-paying citizen <laughs> yeah. anymore. I'm going to do what needs to be done. So the first two months I lived in my truck. Mm-hmm. And I would go out in the daytime and uh, find the trails and GPS them and start walking them. But at nighttime I'd go back to my truck, find a spot I could tuck off the road and lock myself in it. And I had my 40 cal sitting next to me and then my shotgun, then my AR. And no matter what I heard, I didn't get out of my trunk. Yeah. Because uh, I was one man and this was all new to me. Yeah. So after two months, I found, uh, I heard about a meeting of some like-minded people who had a house about uh, 25 miles from where I was. So I went to this meeting and uh, it was a nice, it was, well, the only reason that house was nice was because the roof didn't leak. And so there was five other guys that were uh, wanting to start something down there. And I said, well, this is a good fit. Mm-hmm. You know, I got construction background. I can do the electrical, I can do the plumbing, I can do the whatever. So they allowed me in mm-hmm. and, uh, well, they allowed me in, but we didn't go in the house for three days. It was just the uh, uh, first three days, we would just open the door and lob in all the fucking bug bombs and every oh, other yeah. thing we could think of and close the door because <laughs> there was more things living in that house than there was outside in the desert. Yeah. But within six months, they had left. Uh, they got tired and said, screw it. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. It's never going to end. And I decided to stick it out. And uh, 2010, uh, I started uh, Arizona Border Recon. Okay. We are actually a licensed intelligence gathering company in the state of Arizona. Interesting. And so we built a website and started looking for people and it's evolved from there. And I mean, if you go to the website, we have nothing to hide. Our rules of engagement are on there. Our standard operating procedures are on there. Uh, That's for all the feds to see. Right. And anybody else, the left, uh, we don't hide anything. We have nothing to hide because we're not doing anything wrong, you know. I mean, I've been called everything in the book from a Nazi to a racist to baby killer. I mean, you, you know the drill. Yeah. And uh, basically, I tell them, you know what? I'm just neighborhood watch. Yeah. Just my neighborhood is huge. and uh, It happens to be on the southern border of Mexico. Yeah. 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 So now, uh, eight years later, I have over 300 volunteers mm-hmm. that come from across the country, give up their time, uh, pay their own way out. And uh, what happens is every couple of months, uh, I'll set up a seven-day operation. And uh, it takes about two months to set one up because basically what we're playing down there is three games all rolled into one. Mm -hmm. The first game is hide-and-seek. I have to go out and find where the traffic's at. Once I find that traffic based upon sign I see on the ground and high sign, Mm -hmm. uh, I'll start putting out cameras. Mm -hmm. And I got trail cameras, and so my trail cameras will monitor the trail 24-7. And uh, once I'm in that area, I'll probably stretch cameras out for about five miles. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I go in 
once every seven to 10 days, retrieve the card because there is no instant feedback because there's nothing out there. There's no cell reception, there's no nothing. Right. And once I start getting the input from my cameras, I'll look at them and see if there's any type of algorithm there with time of day, day of week, uh, everything. And I'll put all that together and then I'll send out an email to the 300 and out of that, I'll get anywhere from 18 to 24 that can come out for that op. And that's why I need so many people is because to do it effectively, you need about a dozen and a half to two dozen. So they'll come in and I'll set them up and uh, on the trails. And uh, basically two outcomes happen. Normally what happens is it'll take them about three days to realize where we're sitting mm -hmm. because we'll go up and we'll set up a fob which attracts the attention of the, uh, we call them high pointers, yeah. which are the scouts on the mountaintops. And for those that don't know what a fob is, that's like a little operating base, right? Yeah. To kind of the comms yeah. guys are there. All of our um, heavy-duty medical shits there, yep. defib and everything else. Yep. And, uh, and our camp kitchen. Yeah. You know, because my woman likes to come out and cook for everybody and I go you can't keep doing that because they don't want to go out when yeah. they hear the menu yeah. these guys are supposed to be eating spam slices pop tarts and MREs yeah. and you're cooking them barbecued chicken and they're like duh duh yeah they're like chow's too good I'm not going they turn out. into fobbits yeah. yeah. exactly yeah. so it's, a, it's really hard to get them back out there because they're like Dude, what's tomorrow? I said, yeah. don't worry about tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I have to keep her happy, too. You yeah. know? She has Understood. to do her part. Yeah. But uh, it, it works out. And uh, we'll rotate guys in, in and out now. So sure. it's like, all right, you guys come back in for 24 for resupply. You'll get the gourmet meal. And you guys <laughs> yeah. eat the Pop-Tarts and Spam. And you'll come yeah. in tomorrow. And so it works out now. But... So with 18 to 24 guys, what'll happen is, like I said, it takes them, uh, the last one, it took them three days mm -hmm. to figure out where the hell we were. Mm -hmm. Because we'll set up the fob, but then we ruck up. Yeah. And then we'll go out on foot in four-man teams to keep the movement small. Mm -hmm. And we go out at optimum light for us, mm -hmm. which is sunrise or sunset because they can't see shit sitting on top of a mountain at that time. Mm -hmm. So once I get them in place, uh, we have comms, uh, we set up, we have a 25 foot portable antenna hooked up to 110 watt fully encrypted radios. Uh, everybody has five watt uh, encrypted radios so that not even the government can hear us. Uh, it's not that we're doing anything wrong or talking about anything wrong, but the cartel. In our infancy, we had the little Bofang. Sure. Well, they were great little radios. Well, the cartel had the same radios. <laughs> so everybody's sitting there on the so radio. So you guys are all talking going, to each other. Yeah, basically. we're going through the channels trying to find each other. And then when they'd find us, we would say, all right, I'm on, my, I'm on the move. I'm going to bring in a team. We're going to cut them off. And then all you'd hear is... Because they would key up, and so we would lose all comms. So I had to upgrade the radios to Motorola fully encrypted uh, radios, which was a huge expenditure, but right. it needed to be done for safety and right. uh, everything else. So last time we did it, uh, within less than shit, 
12 hours. Uh, my team that was on the south had uh, 18 uh, dope mules walk within 20 feet of them because wow. they, they sat on high ground tucked in the bushes yep. and they called it in. And so what we'll do is I'll put a four-man team south and a four-man team north on the same trail. And uh, southbound will radio northbound going, they're on the move, on the way. Mm -hmm. And we know the time frame between the two so they know how much time uh, they have. Right. So the southbound team, what they'll do is leave one guy with all the gear so the guys in pursuit can move faster. Mm -hmm. And so they'll drop in on the trail a few minutes later so they don't uh, get detected or anything and they just follow the track. And we just start closing the box in on them. Right. And so what'll normally happen is if they have the, back in the day, they don't do it anymore. We're not seeing the 20 kilo bundles of uh, burlap wrap mm -hmm. pot anymore. We're seeing uh, small backpacks stuffed with meth and uh, heroin, mm -hmm. you know, and probably seven kilo uh, bundles in those packs. Wow. But what'll happen is they'll either bail with their shit to try to get away. They'll mm -hmm. grenade once they realize they're being screwed. Yeah. <laughs> and for people who don't know, grenading is just shit going every which direction. Yeah. So Nobody's following scatter. one person. It's yeah. just like, who do you go after? And, yeah. and these dudes, I mean, they'll run through uh, Choya. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever run into Choya, but... I, all I know uh, is the desert has a lot of inhospitable things yeah. in it, like scorpions, snakes, yeah, yeah, plants, Down all there, kinds uh, of scary shit. Choya has another nickname. It's <laughs> called Jumping Cactus. And this shit is brutal. It is. It, but I've seen these guys run straight through Choya patches, and I'm just going, Tide, you won. That's yeah. fine. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. So that's a deliberate tactic. They're, oh, they're yeah. breaking contact. They're not just scattering to the four winds. No, they want it because especially now if they're running the meth and heroin, their ass is on the line for that shit that they're trucking. Yeah. So... Uh, the, the value of that's a little bit different than more marijuana. than the Mexican dirt weed they right. were carrying before which right. only was worth about five to eight hundred bucks a pound sure this shit is worth I don't know you know twenty to fifty thousand a kilo yeah so so what is the what is the frequency of the people that you're running because I know the controversy is oh you're just rolling up people who want to come in this country to better their lives and, and what I noticed about cartel land is you even uh, oh, there was a switch in the opinion of yeah. yeah I noticed that part yeah. where you talk. Yeah, he's talking about uh, you were talking about people that were coming over, right. and then how that kind of transitioned to the guys that were influencing the really bad shit that was right. going on. Yeah. which I thought was a that was an interesting part of the yeah. documentary. It was like a mindset shift for you. Yeah, we. I originally intended because of those lies I was hearing. You know, them doing jobs they. Americans won't do. I was going after uh, regular illegals. Right. You know, and uh, once I was down there, you know, and learned more and more from the people on the south side uh, because they would talk to me because I wasn't part of the government. And right. They would let me know what's going on. And uh, in the beginning, the uh, coyotes and shit were just little mom and pop organizations trying to make a living with their kid or their husband was leading the group for you know, a couple hundred bucks a head. Right. For our listeners that don't know, there's uh, describe what a coyote is. So we know some of the terminology that, that people use down here, but mm -hmm. I want the people that are listening to understand what that means. 
Coyote is basically uh, the guy who knows the terrain, the way in, the best way to get through without being caught. He's basically a tour guide. Got it. Or a hunting guide, you know, like if you're... Yeah, absolutely. So they were mom-and-pop organizations. And then once the cartel figured out that, hey, even if we do lose them, we're not losing any money. Right. You know, there's no product. This is cash up front. Run them through. If they get caught... Oh, well, we're not out of money. We're making money. So they went to all these mom-and-pop organizations and said, you got two choices. You either come to work for us or you don't work at all. Yeah. So then the cartels came and took it over, and now human smuggling is about a $10 billion a year trade just on the southern border. Right. So, so when you say human smuggling, what, what entails human smuggling? Is it just... Putting people over the border is it involved in sex trafficking? Like, it's, yeah, it's it's it's. I want people to to understand what that means and what that kind of the end state of a lot of the human smuggling is. Yeah, um, and I know you guys know that because you encounter it all the time with with folks bringing people you yeah. know, through the we'll, border. We'll run into rape trees and everything else out there, but uh, human smuggling is everything and anything uh, down in our area. Most of the human smuggling is bad guys and you do have some that are coming for a better life sure but we don't know who's who so right. we stop everybody and we turn them over to the people who know how to find out if right they're just looking for a better life and so when you say you turn them over you're turning them over to the border patrol yeah. or a federal agency or yeah border patrol aid. okay got it they're the only ones down there Yep, I mean, yeah. no county sheriff I want to be clear about that because there's been people that have accused you of being a vigilante and so I... So you can call me that all you want. I yeah. love that phrase because <laughs> if you, you break it in half... Sure. First half is vigil. <laughs> so I'm doing a vigil. You're awake. Yeah. 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 An ante. Yeah. Danny up. Right. Do your part. Yeah. Well, so, the, the interesting thing about that, the reason why I pointed that out is because in cartel land, you watch the two different sides of the border. So I want people to be real clear about what we're talking about and what you're listening to. So Tim goes out and interdicts people that are breaking the law, right. breaking laws in the United States of America. And then when they capture these people, for lack of better terms, if you don't like that, I don't really detain. Care. You detain them, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm going straight it's, military on this. It's, it's more politically. <laughs> yeah, I got it, right? We're not politically. <laughs> yeah. So, but but so he detains these people and then hands them over to the Border Patrol. I want to describe what I watched in cartel land, what happens on the south side of the border, and whether or not you agree with it, it's, a, it's the facts of what happens there. When the autodefensia was uh, formed, which I believe is what they were called mm -hmm. in, the, in the actual, uh, in the documentary, these guys would started off handing uh, the cartel guys off to the federales. Well, right. if you know anything about Mexico, you realize that there's you know uh, crazy levels of corruption in the government. They would hand these guys over. The guys would be right back on the street in less than 24 hours, and they were back to doing bad shit, hurting their own people, hurting a lot of different people. Anyways, long story short, the auto, auto defensia started uh, offing basically these cartel members after they would capture them. Again, whether you agree with that or not, uh, those are the facts, and that's what goes on down there. So I, I wanted to make that distinction because like we talked about earlier, you know, you're like, hey, man, like we're down there uh, and I am, you know, serving my community. And, you know, what I see is the right thing to do down there, but I'm not breaking the law. 
Right. And so, you know, that that's a big distinction. And so for people that are going to listen to this podcast or that are anti Tim Foley and what he's doing, I just want to make that distinction right. because you are being humane about well, what you're doing. Our treatment of them is in our uh, yeah, exactly. ROEs and SOPs. Right. I mean, uh, regardless if you're a shitbag coming across, uh, we don't want to see you die out there in the middle of the desert when it's 120 degrees out. That's a brutal freaking death. Right. You know, and uh, in our infancy, we were told by Border Patrol that we could be charged with kidnapping. Mm. Regardless if they're breaking the law, regardless if they're bringing in tons of dope into the country. Right. You're stopping their forward progress from point A to point B without their express permission. Who yeah. said that? The, the government. The government. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like some bullshit that the government <laughs> so would say, too. What we did was took a play out of the left's playbook, which was the U.S. Forest Service Narcotics Task Force was going after them for littering in the National Forest because they would take water and food out there and set it down and walk away. When you do that, that is instantaneously considered littering. So they were issuing $1,000 tickets to these people and they were just packing them into the uh, courthouse. And a liberal judge in Tucson, federal judge, mm -hmm. threw it out and said, well, yes, it might be littering, but they're providing them with humanitarian aid, so no charges. So we said, hey, you're providing a there's humanitarian our, There's assistance. our way out, is to not be charged with kidnapping. Now all we do is my guys carry two of these in their cargo pockets or whatever, or in their pack, with, let's say, a little 16-ounce water bottle I was holding up. And uh, we carry those and a couple of granola bars, and when we detain them, we hand them a bottle of water and a granola bar, and ta-da, I just saved your life. Yeah, we provided you which technically you probably did. I'm just saying because <laughs> they were probably like, based right? based off of what I watched on Cartel Land and all this other shit. I'm like, holy fuck, man! These people long range. What they yeah, what they yeah. do to these people to get them to come across. Yeah, and then you find out how much they're paying them and and all oh, that yeah. shit. It's absolutely fucking yeah. insane. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but it's nice because it stopped us from you know them going. Oh well, I guess yeah, you're saving their lives, and so that is. The only difference between what we're doing and the left's humanitarians that want these open borders is we provide them with food, water, and medical aid. I mean, we've patched up a lot of people out there with blown knees because they try to get away and they shit, sprained ankles yeah, and lost on their own. <laughs> but the only difference between us and them is instead of giving them food, water, medical aid, then going... Okay, have a nice day. See you later. We go, well, we don't know who you are, so guess what? We're calling Border Patrol and we're going to turn you in. Let them figure out if you're good or bad. And so, but, you know, it's, it's, it's all the, your political ideology is what is determining your views upon what's happening down there. This is a very complex issue down there. You know, yes, I'm not against immigration I'm just against illegal immigration mm -hmm. you know I've been through the immigration process my ex-wife is from Canada it was a fucking nightmare even though I speak and write English fluently you can't get a straight answer out of a INS if they're 
for the paperwork. It took me 11 months of spending one day every three weeks at the INS office for a full eight to 10 hours just to get her permission to get a job. And, but if it's something you want, you'll jump through any hoops to achieve it. Yeah. You know, and we already allow a million to a million and a half people into this country a year legally. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we don't need another. And their numbers are, that's common core math, 11 million. Yeah. That's a freaking. I don't joke. even know how you can gauge the numbers anymore. So my, I'll tell you just, you know, personally how I look at a lot of this is. Triple it. I mean, there's all kinds of, we're being divided along political lines and we kind of, you know, we talked about this and we, we don't really get into politics and all that stuff. Mike and I feel like we're realists based off of our exposure to the world. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but I look at our country, you know, we spent a lot, a long time away. And now that we're back home and we've started Fieldcraft and we're doing all these different things and doing the podcast, but you look at the infrastructure in this country and it's not hard to understand when you start talking about basic economics, there's a certain amount of money that the country makes. um, And there's a certain amount of people, there's a certain amount of uh, entitlements that go out to people. uh, When, you know, in my mind, when less of the population is actually working and paying taxes, and then, you know, it's a lot, it's a lopsided number of people supporting, they're going to go broke at some point. Yeah, Part of my thing is, you know, people call all your fucking racist. It's like, no, I'm not. It's our second largest makeup in our organization is Hispanic males right. who have military backgrounds. Yeah. I have a guy f- who immigrated from Uruguay <laughs> who is now a U.S. citizen that comes out with us. Yeah. I have a female from El Salvador who immigrated and is now a U.S. citizen. I got a guy from Ghana. Yeah. These are people who are, this is now their new country. They did it the right way. And they, if you ask people out there who've come the right way, they are the most pissed off about what's happening. I'll bet. Yeah. And it's not about race because there's people from 78 different nations coming across our border right now. Right. It's about, like you said, sustainability. Right. How many people and how much is it going to take before we say, wow, we can't do enough? Right. We are the most giving country on the freaking planet. I mean, look at any natural disaster. Who's the first one there? United States with food and medical aid. Right. Then the people kick in millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to Red Cross for the natural disasters and everything else. Yeah. But we don't give a shit about our own people. Mm-hmm. We got homeless veterans all over the freaking place. Mm-hmm. They're kicked to the curb. We got homeless families kicked to the curb. You know, we don't take care of them, but these people, the left, sorry for going into the politics, but they're screaming about, oh my God, we need to do more for all these illegal people coming across the border. We need to take care of our own first. Mm-hmm. Then we can start going, okay, now we can allow X amount in. Mm-hmm. But it's about sustainability because when you start flooding the uh, country with illegals, now, the illegals are used to, and this is not, you know, just me being a racist. This is known fact. They, they live in extended families. Mm-hmm. So they have no problem living in a two-bedroom home yeah. with two families of ten fucking people. Right. But our property 
tax system is based upon how much money, how many bedrooms right. go to the school the value, system. Yeah, the value of the home. The, so the yeah. school system is looking at two bedrooms. So you're looking at maybe two kids and two adults. Mm-hmm. Well, you got 10 freaking kids and four adults in a two bedroom. So now you're overburdening the school system. Right. Then the hospitals, the medical system gets overburdened. Our freaking judicial system is just being crushed by the amount of illegals. Los Angeles, 90% of their uh, most wanted criminals that are locked up are illegal immigrants. Hmm. And it just goes on and on and on. It's not about race, it's about sustainability. Right. Like I said, who's going to pay for this shit? Yeah. It used to be other countries and other people wanted to attain the level of living that we had attained. Right. Now what it is is we need to drop everybody's level of living down to the lowest common denominator. Yeah. I think well it's a good it's a good point of kind of what socialism looks like. Really. Yeah. I mean that's communism, socialism. You talked about it a little bit in the video, but I I heard I was at the gym and saw uh LeBron James, your boy LeBron James on, on, on <laughs> CNN. And he was talking to Don Lemon. Uh, who's a, who's you're, a, wait a minute, you're watching CNN? Oh, I do. I think you do that. I do. To, to get yourself off. I do. Yeah. So it was... Because uh, I don't... I won't... I it, Every time you have it on and I walk in and, tr- and look at it, I want to vomit. So Well, he was talking about how he was oppressed because um, how he was basically called an n-word or something by some random dude right right and so if you know, that equals oppression that's well that's interesting you know i'm i'm half white but right. even the white side of me well i love this because we always bring this up because you're from a family of immigrants yeah. who immigrated here legally uh yeah. koreans but my my if my 80 year old grandmother so you only have half white guilt yeah, only halfway ago. Well, what's interesting, that's what I was leaning into. This is, is way less than ours, Tim. Yeah. What, what I was interested in is, you know, he was like, you know, it, it, this is an indicator that there is still a problem in this in society that the white man. And so this whole thought or perception that there's this category of white man, I'm half Norwegian. Mm-hmm. Like, my family, You're the immig- biggest Asian we've ever seen. Yeah, six foot one, two twenty five. I know. He's so a, my he's a Viking Korean. Right? <laughs> so my family immigrated on the white side, just like every white person here. Right. So it's not like you know imperialist or you know the monarchy came over here and then started this race of white species. Yeah. The Everybody elite, immigrated from different parts yeah, of the world. The elite that, whites. <laughs> yeah, that actually have white skin. So. Right. Um, and I know you've dealt with this a lot, Tim, about, uh, you know, this elitist perception of being a white privileged human being. You're in the military you're a veteran. Mm-hmm. You were working a blue collar job in construction mm-hmm. and now you're on the border because you see a, a bigger purpose and you're somehow privileged because you're taking a stand and representing the country, which... I'm fucking confused now because yeah. I don't even know what the fucking country is now because right. I see more and more people coming out and responding maybe because the the liberal side has a louder voice in media. Yeah. It's who it, it's cries fucking, the loudest. It's exactly. And Why there's not? and there's yeah. no there's no um well number one they're they're the only incentive for that is the, they could continue to cry and whoever gets the more the best ratings wins, right? That's yeah. the popularity contest, but there's no... It's a political influence game that they're playing. 100%. They understand how to play it really well. Well, see, when I was a kid, uh, I got 
five brothers and a sister, and my dad left home, you know, when we were young. And so my mom was on welfare mm-hmm. and food stamps. So I know what that's all about. But once we reached a certain age, it's like, do I want to live like this for the rest of my fucking life? Yeah. No. So we went out and we got jobs and we decided, you make your own. Yeah. This is a great uh, segue into, I think, what's going on in society right now is there's a, a level of victimhood that uh, has gone from every race, every background, every everything that you can think of that victim that everybody's a victim everybody and it actually takes away from this thing called personal accountability mm-hmm. where you have to be personally yep. Yep. accountable for your actions i know all about that i, I won't get into my background uh 100 right now but i've stepped on my crank before and had to deal with that mm-hmm. and then had to bounce back from that and you know and be a responsible adult and do the right thing so i think as, a, as Americans, our society in the United States, like there's this thing that's, per, that's perpetuated that, that takes away the personal accountability of your decision-making processes and what you actually decide to do. So, you know, there, and there's a ton of this shit going on and it all breeds into the same things that we're talking about right now that somehow, you know, uh, these people are entitled to all the things that American citizens get. Well, no, they're not. They're illegal immigrants. They yeah. came here illegally. They broke the law. And so, you know, you might look at that and think that that's inhumane. And we just talked to Tim about the way they do business and the way that business is done south of the border. I mean, if you're going to say that that's inhumane treatment, um, one, I would, you know, definitely disagree with you just based off of watching what Tim does on documentaries and then talking to him uh, personally about how they run business. So, Well, I, like I tell people, you know what? If we were doing anything long, wrong down there, yeah, do, you you'd think, already be, do you think the federal government federal would still let me be walking around eight years no, later? Be yeah, right. I'd be in a six by eight being Bubba's boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. How well, is your report with, with, <laughs> with uh, the Border Patrol down there? Border Patrol, the line agents, they yeah. love us because, you know, where's your best intel going to come from? Yeah, guys from there on the ground. Yeah, yeah, somebody who's got the title Intel and they're sitting in a Texas roadhouse 100 miles from the fucking border. Yeah, or the guys that are actually living it and the doing it. Boots on guys the Guys and gals that are living yeah. and doing it. That are there 24 hours a day. And when I'm not there, I got cameras watching shit. Yeah. You know, so the line agents love us. I mean, when we do ops, I'll have, uh, I've even had Border Patrol supervisors come in because, uh, the Tucson station uh, has 300 agents, and they're tasked with securing 24.5 miles of the border. But when we go out there with a dozen and a half to two dozen, I'll get supervisors that'll come into our fob and go, it's just amazing what you guys can do with two dozen or less guys in three days that we can't do with 300 in a month. And I said, well, you're just doing it wrong. You're trying to fight this war that's going on 24-7 with the shift mentality. That'd be like you guys over there in Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever the hell out. You're in the middle of a firefight go, hey, time out. My shift's over. My shift's over. Hold on. The next crew is going to come in in about an hour. So you got a breather and you can resupply and everything while they come in. You can't do it that way. You know, all... The government is doing, and you know, don't get me wrong. I, I have, I love the line agents. They're just being screwed by upper management and by the union. 
you know, uh, I was talking earlier with Kurt saying, hey, you know, with the way they're doing it, the way you judge you're winning a war is one, is occupying territory. Two, is holding the high ground. Well, guess who has both of those? That's the cartel. You can't just drive in and, you know, it's just like over there in the sandbox. You drive in and drive out, they're going to be right back there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You go in for a day, all right, they're gone. You go away, okay, they're back. Right. So it's, it's asinine. You want the definition of insanity? Go down and see how it's being run down there. They're doing the same thing over and over again, the expecting of yeah. a different result. It's crazy, man. We uh, have these towers down there. Uh, they were part of the uh, SBI, which is the Secure Border Initiative. They were put in in 2005. We have 12 of them in our area. Uh, they ran $90 million apiece. These cameras... It's a pod system, right, that goes up and then... No, it's, these, these are permanent towers. Oh, okay. These are 80-foot towers uh, with night vision, the radar revolving around on the top. Uh, it can see 30 kilometers. Wow. Uh, and then it relays it all back to a nice little control room in Tucson. But by... Uh, so we spent over a billion dollars for these 12 towers. Uh, and uh, by Border Patrol's own numbers, 80% of what the tower sees gets by. Wow. Because there's nobody there. Yeah. yeah. They can't react to it. They're, they're being, that's their what's, problem. What's the drive, they're not being the proactive, they're being Tucson reactive. To, yeah. <laughs> drive time from Tucson down to where you guys are. Two and a half hours. Right. So it's not like, unless they were using little birds and friggin' helos and all. Yeah, I mean, even the flight time. Well, and that's the sad thing. They do have a fleet of helicopters, you know, and, but the union has told them it's too dangerous for them to put teams together to go from cartel mountaintop to mountaintop. Too dangerous. It's like, but 75 to 80% of what they're hiring now are all combat veterans who've done this shit. Yeah. Not only that, but I think there's a cer certain level of risk that you assume, whether you're law enforcement, border yeah. patrol, any of those jobs, like uh, if you don't think that at some point you're going to get in a gunfight, then you probably have the wrong mentality. Well, so you got to accept that and go do the job. Well, the border patrol union, I guess, is a little stronger than most regular law enforcement <laughs> because, uh, I mean, I've got cameras down in this area and uh, it's brutal. Yeah. There's only one frickin' road in, and it's this canyon. And down on the line, my cameras are picking up nothing but guys with uh, AKs, uh, chest rigs, eight to 10, 30 round mags, wow. bringing uh, uh, Middle Eastern guys to the border. And the armed guys are leaving, but you don't see the Middle Eastern guy leaving. <laughs> so they're coming across and I started bringing this up to Border Patrol and I mean it's it was happening pretty much like clockwork once every two weeks and uh, so I brought it up and I guess it finally got up a little higher and so I would see the agents down there right where my cameras are and then after I was like well where the fuck are you guys they go well we've been told to back off from this area because they didn't want the engagement they didn't want the yeah the ramification of yeah. some kind of what, and what time period was that going on? Is this recent? Oh yeah, this was uh, April, May, June. 
Oh, wow. We need to send I'm us that getting picture. them every two weeks. Just send us that picture and we'll make it go viral. Oh, yeah. We'll have well, an HVT list in like Fieldcraft headquarters. What, what alerted me to it, I have three cameras down in that area, was uh, I was, you know, and they're motion-activated cameras, so I get to watch a lot of grass growing and fucking field mice in the middle of the night. Right. Just bullshit. Anything that activates the camera. Yeah. So, I mean, the time I was looking at these three cameras, they were averaging about 1,530-second videos each. And so I'm going, holy shit. How are you going to yeah, dive through all that? Are, are so I'm just sitting there going, back, back, back. Yeah. But I can't dump them in case there's something there. Yeah. So to go through... Approximately 4,000 30-second videos is a lot of fucking time. Yeah. So what I started doing was breaking it down. All right, they're not moving at this time. I know what's happening there because I saw the same damn mouse at the same damn time for the last three days in a row. So <laughs> that time frame, I just dump them. Yeah. And then I see, okay, the freaking javelinas at sunset are coming in every day at this time. So I dump those and I start whittling it down. So my three cameras, I'm down to about 1,000 videos. Okay. So I start going through them and then I get, okay, now I got a scout. This mm -hmm. uh, two-man team of scouts. And they're going north across the border. But then three to five minutes later, they're coming back south. And then three to five minutes later, they're going back north. And I was mm -hmm. going, okay, I know what's going on. Because the humanitarians had two water drops just north of the border and they went, the humanitarians went across the border and put a water drop south of the border. Mm. So these guys knew that there's supposed to be water so, north. Yeah, describe real fast, Tim. So we talked about it before we started recording, but the, there's a bunch of, you were showing me, you know, some different points basically yeah. on a map. I have over 200 water drops GPS. Right. And when you area. say humanitarian. Well, that's what they classify themselves. Right. But these are, these are uh, people um, in the United States. American citizens. Right. right. That are dropping uh, water and food in different locations. Yeah. Uh, you know, because they feel bad for folks that are coming across the border or something, maybe. Or these people that are associated with the smuggling activity and everything else under the guise of being a humanitarian. Exactly. Right, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's exactly what I So basically I know, these are but they, they, de they deny that they're working with the cartel. Right. But these are cachet points that come all the way north, yeah. basically, that where so they can stop and get food. And when you, you look at this area... You could leave water frickin' anywhere. Right. Because, damn, it's hot out here, and damn, there ain't no water out here. So yeah. you could leave it anywhere. Why is it right here? Right. And, I got a picture on my phone, I'll show it to you in a second. But, uh, I've walked over 2,000 miles of these trails in my area. Right. So I know where they go, and how they, and the splits that are on the trail, and basically, it's a reverse funnel. Mm-hmm. The border is the small end of the funnel. Right. And then from there, it branches out. You go up a half a mile, that trail will split. You go up another half mile, those trails split. So by the time you get in 10 miles, you get from, went from one trail to 200 different options. Wow. So I'll be out there when I play my game of hide and seek with them, when mm -hmm. I'm looking for them. I'll go sit, hit one trail. I go, okay, I see a little bit of sign, and then there's only six gallons of water left on this trail. But I'll bump over about a quarter mile, half mile to where I know the trail splits and there's another feeder coming across the same way. There's more sign. 
but there's 26 gallons of water mm -hmm. and a food bucket. So why did you only leave six gallons over here and you put 26 gallons over here? Why did you just put 16 here and 16 there? How do you know that this is... Oh yeah, there's a, there's a system based off there's the number a, of people yeah. and all kinds of stuff. So they only left six gallons there because that's a blow-off valve if they feel this one's being watched or looked at by border patrol, uh, okay. they can take the split to the secondary water drop. Right. And it's like that everywhere. And then the 75 scout locations, I have GPS. If you combine my GPS of the scout locations and then overlay it with the water drop locations. Voila. Ta-da, yeah. There's <laughs> fucking two to three water drops right at the base of the mountain or halfway up the mountain. Yeah. And, uh, I've got videos of the scouts coming off the mountain, getting their water bottles. Uh, three weeks ago, I took out a, a media crew from Taiwan mm -hmm. who kept, for two days was going, so what about the women and children? What about, I said, there are no women and children out here. Look at this terrain. It is brutal. Yeah. I mean. The desert is brutal. My house sits at 3,800 feet, and then from my house, the mountains go up to 6,500 feet. And it's one right after another after another. There's dozens upon dozens of mountains. It takes the dope mules who are doing meth to make it through. They'll make it through in five days. Mm -hmm. So women and children, if you're trying to do that, you're looking at seven to 10 days if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so I took this uh, Taiwanese uh, media lady. She goes, what are we gonna do today? I says, well, I'm gonna go check a water drop. Mm -hmm. Now I know the water should be there. If the water jugs aren't there, we should see them coming in mm -hmm. because we'll be heading south. So we should see empties because they're going north. Right. If we don't see them at the water drop, we should see them further south because then that tells me that it is uh, southbound. Right. So that's one way I can judge what's happening on the trail, northbound, southbound, is it one or the other? Based off of those resupply right. points being serviced. Yeah, right? and where the empties are. Right. So we get there, there's none northbound. Right. It's like, okay, there's no water here. But it's recently been resupplied based upon looking at the food that's still there, the labeling isn't all faded out from the sun, so right. it only been, it been resupplied within the past week. And so I said, okay, now we're going to go south on the trail to the base of the mountain. Then we're going up the mountain. Mm -hmm. She goes, why are we going up the mountain? I said, because this mountain is a cartel scout location. Mm -hmm. And I want you to see what they see from here. And what this is the first mountain you come across on the border. So if you're a woman and child, this is the first mountain you got to make it across and then you can see what's happening. I said, but I guarantee you, now we haven't seen any water north or south, all the empties are gonna be on top of the mountain. Right. So we made it uh, maybe a quarter way up the mountain and this media lady sat down and started crying. And I was going, what in the fuck are you doing? <laughs> She goes, I can't you do it. get on private pile. I, I got to get to the top yeah. of the mountain. <laughs> I can't make it. It's just I was going, what the fuck? Are you talking about women and children? So look. So I had to break it down for her. I go, look, eyeball that point right there. We're going to go to there. You can sit and rest. Eyeball that point from there. We'll yeah. sit and rest. So I had to break this 
what normally takes me and my guys 45 minutes to just... I feel like after this story, Tim, I feel like you're just a big hugger. I feel like you're out there giving people big hugs on the border. <laughs> I'm trying to motivate them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I get this uh, journalist up to the top of the mountain, even though what takes us 45 minutes took us two and a half fucking hours. Mm-hmm. And it's middle of the daylight. I mean, middle of the day, so we're pushing 105 degrees, and she's like, oh. But it's nice thing is because she has personal assistants with her who are carrying her bottled water. That, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, anyway. So we get up there, and I was going, so how many women and children are coming? She goes, none. I was yeah. going, thank you. And I said, now watch this. And we started walking to where the scout locations are on the hilltop, and I was going, see that? There was 18 empty water bottles up there that the humanitarians had left down below. Mm-hmm. The empty bean cans, blankets that they leave up there. Dude, yeah. in the wintertime, I've got a tote, I swear to God, it's three foot long, foot and a half wide, about two feet deep. I got, I could open up a fucking sock store mm-hmm. because the humanitarians leave them the six or eight packs of brand new socks yeah. in the wintertime. So I was going, you know what, you can have the fucking beans and water, but you ain't getting no fucking fresh socks. Yeah. What is it? So is there any process with the humanitarians to evaluate who these people are? No. Is there any onus to that? Because no. I, would, I would assume, like if I'm a scout and I have comms with somebody in the U.S. and I want to facilitate movement, I would call my buddy and be like, hey, this is the grid coordinate or this is the general location where you need to stage stuff. So it almost seems like I'm not, and I wouldn't even, I mean, I'm speculating because it just makes common sense to me. People love to speculate down there. Well, this is the one thing that really kind of drives home the point. We're looking at maps and different things right now in the office, and and we're checking out all these different things. And we're talking about all these things with Tim Mm -hmm. about the resupply points. Um, Yeah, crazy. So... That's a picture of a gallon uh, of water. Right, but that's one of about 26 sitting there. Now, you see the top numbers. Those are, that's the date on it. Yep, 6, they dropped it. Right. or 6, whatever, yeah. So now below, see that four-digit number? Yeah. That's a waypoint. Uh, yeah. And so, that's, on the, that's on the American side of the border yeah. at a humanitarian Every one point. of these water drops, depending on where it, is, where it is, has a waypoint number on it. And that will dictate and let them know where they're at on their map. They know exactly where these water drops are going to so be. So you mean to tell me everything going on on the border isn't a bunch of women and children coming across to gain citizenship in the United States of America, or it's a giant organized crime network that's actually making billions of dollars <laughs> by smuggling humans, dope, and everything else across the border? With the help of have, American citizens. And we have uh, people in the United States of America that have a problem with us uh, trying to stop this. Yeah. Is that what we're talking about right now? Yeah, this is fucking crazy. Humanitarians. Right. Human- well, yeah, because that's, you know, oh, my God, we're saving lives. There, it's in our area, based upon what I see on my cameras, 85% is drugs. 15% is human. Out of the can, 50, you, can you say that number again? I just want to really drive that point home. So 85%, 85% percent of dope. what I see is drugs. Yeah. Right. The 15% is people. Now, out of that 15%, I would say there's probably 1% or 2% that want the better life. Right. We're getting a lot of MS-13s coming right now. Right. Uh, Which, if you're not familiar with who MS-13 is, 
one slap yourself, but it's a very terrible gang from El Salvador is where it originated, and they're all over the place in the United States. It actually originated in uh, uh, Los Angeles. Really? And yeah. then spread there and the, came back? Well, what happened was is the El Salvadorians got together because the Mexicans didn't like the El Salvadorians, oh, yeah. okay. so the uh, Sereños would battle with the... And they got together to make their own little got it. Their click. Own click. And so what happened was... Uh, the government in their infinite wisdom decided to send them all home. So they sent them all home and they recruited and now they're the world's largest, most violent street gang. Right. And uh, they're in every freaking city. Right. Uh, six weeks ago, less than four miles from my house, we had a uh, Border Patrol agent shot four times. Wow. He was shot twice in the chest, once in the leg and once in the arm. He said he didn't see it coming. He was going down a trail at 4.30 in the morning, uh, checking an area <coughs> because the sensor went off. Yeah. But he was by himself. And uh, he said he just saw the flashes of light. And as he was going down, he drew his uh, uh, service weapon, got off a couple of rounds. And uh, he was part of uh, Borstar, which is... Uh, yep, I'm familiar. Bortac, Borstar, all right. those guys. Borstar is the Border Patrol Search and Rescue. Yep. So he was a paramedic. Mm -hmm. So he was able, when he came back too, after getting the shit knocked out of him from getting shot twice in his vest, mm -hmm. uh, made it back to his vehicle, started his own, did his own tourniquets, started his own IV, and uh, called it in. Jeez, man. Yeah. yeah. So and that's right. That's right there where you, where you guys are at. Oh yeah. You're and you're patrolling. How many miles of the border are your guys patrolling? Uh, we probably are running about 600 square miles. Wow. Uh, it's about 40 to 45 miles long and maybe a little longer and then back in about, uh, back to where I'm at, about 10 miles in. So logistically, how, how difficult is it, is it to manage, um, number one, the, your organization, but these ops that you're, that you're doing? I mean, I'm assuming that it's a, it's a, it takes a lot of capital to run something like this because you have the volunteer people coming in, right. but you have to feed them, you have to supply them, you have to do all the coordination. Well, they, you know, I've had people go, well, so when we come, uh, do you uh, have weapons we can use? It's like, oh yeah, I want the, the gun I registered. <laughs> Hand it to you and yeah. let you shoot somebody with it. Yeah, and yeah. go, oh, by the way, here's your gun back. Yeah, it's yeah. like, no, everybody brings their own, their own gear. I mean, uh, their own kit. Their own weapon. There's only uh, we only allow 12 gauges and uh, ARs out there because the bad guys carry the AKs. Yeah. And uh, we don't want any down there. It's green on green mm -hmm. because if BPs out there with NVGs on and they see four guys standing on a hilltop with the goat's horn, yeah, uh, don't want them freaking out. Yeah, yeah. So we all run ARs, and uh, basically, when I do the ops, I'll call the uh, Tucson talk, and I'll give them grid coordinates. I'll give them how many guys. I'll give them. Yeah, I can uh, imagine that deconfliction process is pretty serious. Yeah. So there isn't fratricide. Yeah, and so we'll let them know where we're at at all times. And I said, if they got a, uh, you know, soup in the area, send them on out, and we'll give them grids of exactly where our teams will be set up. But we have to watch out also who we talk to within Border Patrol because they have a, about a 25 to 30% uh, corruption rate. Really? Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. That's that's pretty insane. Yeah. To even think I mean, about my it. thing is is uh, again going back to what we were talking about. The you know I was jokingly. I mean, it's pretty common sense when you hear what's going on down there. The level of money uh, that's oh, being yeah. made based off of that. I mean. Unfortunately, you know, that uh, does a lot of things to different people, and I'm not going to speak poorly about the Border Patrol or anybody else, but the facts remain that this is a giant money-making thing uh, for folks south of the border, and, you know, they don't want anybody to get in the way of that. So there's a lot of different tactics that they use to make sure that nobody gets in the way of making money. And to think otherwise would be... Right. I mean, it's, again, like uh, everything we talk about and do, we come from a point of reality. And when you break things down pretty simply in those ways, you know, like Tim discussed, it is a difficult problem. It is pretty, uh, you know, a pretty complicated problem because I personally think we've let it go go on so long that we are in a shitty situation any which way you look at it. And now, you know, the unfortunate part is we've got to make tough decisions now, not in 10 years because of the things that are going on right now. And if you're an American citizen uh, and you like this country and you love it, like I know I do, like Mike does, like Tim does, uh, you want to see our country last for a long, long time. I mean, I've got kids that generationally will grow up here Um, you know, people have families. I mean, you're looking at all these different things and you realize the strain that it puts on the, what we have. And so you got to do something about it now. Um, So that's a good uh, lead into what would you do, Tim, to, to fix these problems? Like if you had identified two or three things, what would be the start points in these? Cause I know Trump is coming out and he's doing a whole bunch of stuff. The wall, the wall. What do we we do? I mean, Yeah. Yeah. So this is a guy. So I, I'm actually really interested in Tim's opinion on this. This is a guy that lives down in that area and does and is out there all the time and knows the problems that we face. So let's hear your solution. Well, the wall, yeah, it, it'll help some, but it ain't going to stop. I mean, I, the way I try to tell it to people is, look, if you're sitting at your house, sitting in your kitchen, looking out in your backyard... You can tell if anybody's jumping your fence. Sure. But when you leave your house and you go grocery shopping and shit, fucking 200 people could have crossed that thing. You'd never know. And then you come back and you look and there's nobody there. That's what is happening right now. Sure. And uh, it's going to continue to happen like that because of the way they position the stations. But, uh, you know, with the three agencies with a combined budget of $51.1 billion and over 280,000 employees, why it's not already secure is beyond me. Right. So you're saying we've already got enough assets, enough money put against it. It's just being mismanaged. Right. (laughs) You give me less than 1% of that budget that 51 billion, I guarantee you, I shut that thing down in less than fucking 90 days from one end to the other. Yeah. Only thing coming through is going to have fur on it and, <laughs> or scales. Be a lizard or rabbits and that's about it. Right. Uh, they, a few years back, they did uh, these sequesters. Mm-hmm. You remember those? Uh, oh, yeah. Where every de- yeah. government agency had to slash their budget to try to yeah. make the... I know all about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Border Patrol used to have what... The, they used to have fobs up there. Okay. And these fobs were set up... Uh, basically, they were connexes converted into living quarters. 
Right. They had the bedroom, the, the dormitory one, and they had the kitchen one, and they had the entertainment one, and they had weight room and the whole freaking shooting match up there. Yeah. And they had Dish Network, and well, they had it made. Uh, but they would go out for uh, two weeks at a time. Right. But they would still staff it for three shifts. So these guys would sit there and go, what the fuck? I'm going to go out there for eight hours and turn around and sit in the Connex and stare at the walls and channel surf for another eight hours and then sleep for eight? No, these guys would actually be out there freaking 16 to 18 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So we were actually saving money. Mm-hmm. And the area they were, had these fobs were just the most notorious for bad shit coming through and it shut it down. Yeah. So after the sequesters, uh, we went out there and uh, we went out three days later because the media, being what nice people they were, uh, reporting on the sequesters, went out and showed that the Border Patrol's forward operating bases were all shut down. Oh yeah, that helped, I'm sure. Oh yeah, so within <laughs> three days we saw the black water bottles and all the bullshit, the burlap and everything else going straight through the middle of the freaking camps. So what needs to happen is we need to we need to quit being so fucking soft. Mm-hmm. You know, we've become too complacent whereas like, yeah, I mean, don't, I love Border Patrol, but this nine to five mentality and not switching up the shifts and being so far away from the border uh, is, it's never going to work. You have to get boots back down on the ground. Right. And you have all these military trained guys that are joining now. They need to put teams in helicopters. Mm-hmm. You know, they only have Borstar and Bortac that can fly in helicopters. Right. That's it. Everybody else, nope. It's some type of secret squirrel club that you have to have these special acronyms there to fly in a helicopter. But it's crazy. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's asinine, and uh, basically we're relying on too much high tech. Mm-hmm. You know, our $90 million towers just reached their lifespan. So they're replacing them with new towers, which are costing even more. And they're being reactive instead of proactive. You need the boots on the ground. Border Patrol, because they're a union, and the higher-ups who are sitting behind the desk are part of that union. Every year, Border Patrol used to have to do a physical agility test. Well, the guys sitting behind the desk don't want to do physical agility tests. So they had nixed the physical agility test. Now you got fucking people out there who are now classified as visual deterrents because they are no longer capable of being able to hump probably more than 100 fucking yards from their vehicle before they would die of a heart attack because they're so obese. So they won't let them out of the car. They'll just drive around and do Yeah, so deterrent. what they'll do is they'll find a spot sitting high on a mountain and put the big white vehicle on top of the mountain while they sit there and get cell reception and... Eat fucking donuts. Eat donuts and uh, surf the internet on their smartphones. That's great. Mm. And so they're called visual deterrents. <laughs> and uh-huh. it's asinine. I'm going to have an article on that, visual deterrence. Well, you know, I mean, again, I I go back to all this because you see how, uh, you know, both political parties are kind of approaching this issue. 
And, you know, again, Tim and I had some awesome discussions uh, prior to the podcast recording, just kind of trying to, I think, uh, you know, get information from each other. But it's crazy how all this stuff, how politicians are pitting the American people against each other. And, you know, of course, one side's making it a humanitarian issue and the other one's, we're going to build the wall. And it's like, here's a guy, right, who's sitting here telling you like it is because he lives down there and works down there. Um, and, and made a decision to do something about it um, in a humane way, again. For years. Yeah, and it's like, you know, we ought to be listening to people that actually have the real world experiences yeah. to what's going on down there. So, you know, the, I think the, I mean, it's just the, the takeaway for the podcast for me after watching the documentaries, listening to Tim, talking to Tim, and Mike and I discussing everything that's going on there is, you know, <coughs> One, don't pay attention to your friggin' politicians because they've got a friggin' agenda, which drives me crazy, right? And dividing people in this country and not paying attention to the real issues that are going on that, you know, potentially at some point could collapse the government because of funding and all these different things. It's like, guys, pay attention to what's going on. Actually go out and get, get good information. That's why we were excited to have Tim on because the guy lives there. He does this all the time. And so we want to talk to people that are boots on the ground because I don't want to hear what the fuck some politician has to, yeah. has a, that has to say about it that's sitting on their fat ass in Washington, D.C. Right. I want to talk to a guy that lives it, breathes it, eats it, sleeps it every well, freaking day. One of the things I'd like to see happen is, uh, well, as you know, we have PMCs. Uh, we have PMCs in every conflict around the world. Right. So why can't we have PBCs? Right. Private border contractors. So, and by that is, you know, we don't have to go hands-on. Yeah, well, no, it's a good, I mean, it's a great point. There's a standard for private military contractors that have to go through a certain amount of vetting and training, and our government feels comfortable enough to put them inside of war zones. Why aren't we doing that here? Why aren't we using the private sector to help this process? What you could do with that is basically, is like what we do. We go out for, you know, a week to two weeks at a time and sit in the mountains. So we know what's going on, what's happening, and then we could tell Border Patrol, right. hey, don't waste your time with your agents over here. This shit is dead. You need to bump over here. This is where it's hopping. Right. Go in there and start hammering that. Then when they start hammering that, that's when one of the games happens again. Mm-hmm. Whack-a-mole. You hit them there, they pop up over here. So sure. then you, we could help. Uh, utilize their manpower to a better degree than just going, okay, just everybody drive towards the border and drive around and look busy. (laughs) And uh, so it's like you're spending way too many guys sitting in this one area where there's nothing fucking going on. Right. So no superintendents or supervisors have approached you about consulting or guiding or advising? Well, supervisors... Love us, but that's down in the field chain. Right? Yeah. Above that, it's the same old oh, no. government. Why the fuck would you not? That well, drives me bananas. Because know, they drives me bananas. were ruining their fucking yeah. year-end oh, their bonus. Their OBR, their evaluation. They're like, they're, oh yeah, I don't their know. bonus. Well, I would think they would get a bigger bonus if they thought outside the box a little bit and were like, hey, let's leverage a guy who's boots on the ground who maybe could optimize this whole entire You know, I've, even just to work with them more directly, I've tried for four years. We have the same type of radios. 
Except for I get mine a hell of a lot cheaper because I'm not the government. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're running the same radios. They pay about 4500 bucks a radio. I buy mine used and refurbish them off of eBay for fucking 600 bucks. Yeah. And uh, But they're both fully encrypted. We're running the same type of encryption, but not the same encryption. Right. And I've asked for four years. I've tried everybody and anybody I can think of. Hey, one channel. I don't even care if it's in the clear. Because we might be your closest backup. We might be your closest medical aid. We might need backup. We might need medical aid. And they're not even facilitating that. No, because they think also we're going to do is get on the radio and go, Hey, it's a beautiful morning out here in the mountains. Come and get some free coffee and donuts while we're out here. It's like, why would you not tap in that fucking resource? A QRF, like you said, med, a med consideration. Oh, yeah. Do get shot in the chest twice. Dude, guess I, got, what? I have a heart surgeon who comes out with us. Yeah. I've got paramedics. I've got pararescues. You name former. it, you've I've, got it. Yeah, yeah. as far as cases. Trauma it, nurses. This, you know, this reminds me of Afghanistan, man. It's like... You know, I think about like a, a remote fire base in the mm-hmm. middle of nowhere, right? How we operated there. And you have all this capability and this capacity to, to leverage all these resources. But it's in our fucking backyard. Yeah. Like th- literally it's yeah. in Tim's backyard, yeah. Yeah. several hours from us where we're sitting right now. Yeah. Right? And this is happening right fucking now. And th- the thing that stood out to me the most that you said is the fact that, you know, if you're not watching then there's no problem. You're like, yeah, there's no fucking problem. There's no drugs coming across the border. There's, yeah. It's only in small instances, and that's based off of one person's set of eyes. Yeah. But if you're there and you're attentive and you're, you know, you're, you're occupying an FOB or a fire base, you're going out on daily routine uh, missions, and you have a lay of the land, you start to understand it's a fucking systemic problem. Mm-hmm. And right. so what I think that's happening is obviously, you know, people when they don't want it to be a problem they just stop fucking looking or paying attention well, you hope that bad things are happening we talk about yeah. this all the time yeah you hope I it's all wanna, i yeah. hope that this isn't real and then i listen to some dipshit politician tell me oh no 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 that's not the problem you know it's women and children coming across the border yeah. come on man well see and that's break. that's only half the story yeah right the women and children well that's that's what we because get all the what, time what they're doing Somebody's with narrative. the women and children <laughs> or the family units is we're separating them to DNA swab them. Because there's a lot of shit bags that are coming across grabbing some kid's hand and going, come on here, bud, this is my kid, because he's trying to go through the uh, loophole of, yeah. oh, we're family, can't right. separate them. Yeah. Well, they just busted a guy in Texas. He was, they said, nope, we're separating. He had an underage girl with him, about 10 years old. They separated him, Ran his biometrics. He was MS-13 with multiple felonies in the United States, and that girl was not his daughter. Yeah. So what the hell was going to happen to that daughter? But that doesn't fit the narrative of that side. Oh, my God, they're separating families, and they're actually protecting. But you're only going to hear half of the story, just like me. You're never going to hear this, what's really going on, because they don't want you to know what's going on. You know? What's... So... With all these things that you're saying, which is fucking fact, it's truth, and you're doing this and it's affecting the cartel's business. It's affecting big players with a lot of fucking power. Yep. How have the threats been? How have, like, do you feel like you're in danger or the oh, things? Oh, yeah. I, I get, I average two to three threats a year. Okay. 
So it's like, we know where you're at. We're going to come chop you up. We're going to bug you. It's like, what the fuck? You want my phone number? Yeah, I mean, you know where I live. I got three freaking cartel scout locations that can see my house. I know that because I walked up them to turn around with the binos and go, crap. Yeah, right. That's my, <laughs> that's my, that's my house. Damn it. Then I go, okay, what about this one? Ah, oh, shit. There's a range car right here. <laughs> yeah. like, fuck. We're a little they too far away for a range car, door. but good optics, you can see it, but uh, I, I have no fear of the fucking uh, long range. But yeah. uh, they can see when I'm coming and going. But you don't live in fear. Uh, when I'm up in the city, I do. Do you? Yeah, because, you see, like you said, it's, it's a business to them. So... It's a profit and loss. Absolutely. They're going to lose X amount of product to get X amount of product through. Right now, technically to them, we're just scratching it. Mm-hmm. Border Patrol, even with their manpower and their high-tech shit, is only getting about 15% of what's coming across the border. Dope-wise. Yeah, they are only getting, those numbers, they're only getting about 30% of the human. Yeah. So... Right now, it's just business as usual, profit, loss, profit, loss. But once you start ramping that up, and you can, because now they're switching the dope. They're not dragging across that Mexican dirt weed anymore. They're bringing fucking meth and heroin in kilo bundles. So now we have to look at everybody coming across. Because if, say the dude from Honduras or wherever didn't have the money to pay the cartel to get across, well, here you go, you carry that package for us. Mm-hmm. So now everybody is suspect of being a uh, smuggler, dope meal. Yeah, but you know I feel safer down there because if something happens to me down there, there's no denying where it came from. Right, and then that would blow the whole narrative because I've done media from around the world, and if something happens to me, even though the media here doesn't give a shit about what's going on or about me, I guarantee you the media from around the world will report something happening to me. Right. Uh, and uh, so when I'm up in the city, you know, grocery shopping up in, say, Tucson, I have to be more aware of my surroundings because what happens if somebody walks up to me in a fucking parking lot and just double taps? You say it's a crime. It's Dip, a fucking well, bugging Armed robbery just went bad. Plausible deniability. It's just right. shit happens in the city. So when I'm up there, yeah, I'm a lot more aware of where I use my mirrors. I see who's sitting next to me in my car. I'm, you know, I hear. It's a heightenedness and situational awareness. The, I, sure. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I hear the Mexican circus music, and I'll fucking look to see what's who's <laughs> in that car. And sorry, but that's what I think it is. Yeah. Just like that fucking gangster rap shit. <laughs> you know, that's not music. But uh, so. And the American people uh, don't realize what's going on because even myself, sitting here, that's not even going on. Yeah. That's not even part of my world right now. Yeah. But when I get down there and I look back here, this is not going on. Right. It's like two different universes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I look at it like that scene in The Matrix where the dudes uh, take the red one and wake up, take the blue one and stay asleep. Well, I took the red one and I can't go back to sleep. What's your end state? What's your end goal in all this? Is there an end goal or is it there's, just reciprocal? Is there's, it- I, I made a promise one of two things would happen before I would quit. One is that it was safe and secure enough that I felt it was, or two, I was dead. 
and I think it's going to be the second one. I'm going to die down there because it's never going to end. And, you know, I can walk away and I can get a job back in construction anytime I want, but every morning when I look at myself in the mirror, I'll be sitting there wondering, the fuck is going by today? What did I miss? What happened? And, and you know, people ask, why do I do it? And I said, why don't you do it? You know, we've become too soft as a country. We forgot what, well, the majority of us has forgot what sacrifice is. Mm-hmm. We, most people now ask the question, well, what's in it for me? Yeah, right. Instead of the question of, what can I do to help? You know, and it's, it's the political correctness is destroying this country. These things are making us dumber, smart phones, technology, social media. We don't interact. We're not communities anymore. We don't look out for each other. We walk around with fucking blinders on, you know? And so because the media is not reporting on what's going on, then obviously it's not fucking happening. Because I didn't hear about it in the news. Yeah. The agent who was shot six weeks ago, four times. That was about a 30 minute. And then it was back to, oh my God, the poor women and children. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's sad to say that, you know, I, I think I'll be there for the rest of my fucking life unless I get killed before. Because right now we're in a, uh, what I call soft war. Mm-hmm. We're battling back and forth, but there's no shots fired. Well, there is, but it's intermittent. Right. And once I, from what I've seen from the time I stepped on, on the ground down there to right now, it's getting worse. I would say within, within a year, probably, we'll, we're going to go to a hard war. There will be fucking shots fired. And it will be sustained and... Uh, you know, another thing that people don't ever realize is down in our area, we get a minimum of about six Mexican military incursions into the United States a year, hmm. just down in that area. Anywhere from two men to company size. Really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I get border patrol every once in a while, dude, don't go off down that way, and if you do, stay five miles back. It's like, why? Well, they got a lot of shit loaded my fucking Mexican military in there. It's like, why is the... And I've run into them before. Right. So what the fuck are you motherfuckers doing here? Yeah. You know, and I got more guys and we tell them put the fucking weapons down and they're like, well, we, we didn't realize we were in the United States. It's like, really? Yeah. You're so full of shit, your breast stinks. You know? <laughs> it's fucking... And what it was was two days prior, Border Patrol chased a group of dope mules and basically what these two dudes were doing were going in to see if the dope was where they said they dumped it. Uh, because it was worth a lot of money and these guys are going, no, 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 it's still there, don't kill us. Yeah. Like, so the military's working with them. I mean, I'll yeah. tell you about the armed cartel bringing the uh, Muslim guy to the border. Yeah. Right. Well, one of the guys, uh, and I got clear pictures of him, uh, He's got a fucking badge on his belt. And he's the only one in civilian clothing. Everybody else is in multi-cam. Hmm. And uh, he's going, so you got corrupt locals. That seems legit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, I mean, it's a, it's a nightmare down there. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to leave. I'm not backing down. I don't give a shit what you call me. <clears throat> I have a tattoo on the back of my neck that says Dillagaff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what that means. Mm, what's that? Dillagaff? Mm. Does it look like I give a fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Hash, I'm going to hashtag that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you call me whatever the fuck you want, but I ain't changing to be meet anybody's standards or anybody's yeah. idea of what I should be. I know I'm doing right, and I'm not backing down. I'm not going away. What? Why is it that I get? I have this impression that everybody, like as a society, looks at you like you're the black sheep or the renegade or the vigilante. But isn't that? Aren't you what our country used to be? Like our fathers yeah. and grandfathers used to be you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, me and Kurt are you. Yeah. Cut from the same cloth, but everybody else. Looks at us like we're fucking crazy. Well, see, and that's goes back to uh, you know when we were growing up and shit. Fuck your mom and say get the fuck outside and play. You know it's a nice day. Turn the fucking TV off and and then when nighttime came, it's like get your ass back in the house. The fucking streetlights are on. <laughs> yeah, nowadays, exactly all the kids do nowadays is here's a fucking iPad. Sit there and watch a movie or something and shut the fuck up. Yeah, we're we're. You can't play on a swing set anymore. It might get a boo-boo. You can't play tag at school because you might trip and fall. And no hurt football. Yourself. Yeah. You can't football. Yeah. Everybody gets a participation award, even though you suck ass at whatever your <laughs> sport is. We've pussified a whole fucking generation. Or we didn't. The politicians did. Yeah. It all started when the government got involved and said, you know, you can't spank your kid because that's child abuse. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between child abuse and child discipline. You know, I remember as a kid growing into a store, you know, you go, ah, I want that, I want that. <laughs> Dad would fucking right hook you in the back of the head and go, what do you want? I thought, fuck, no, I'm good. Hey, fucking, <laughs> we're good. Yep. He, they taught you what was right, what was wrong, what you could get away with, what you can't get away with. Now it's like parents are afraid to do anything because kid's going to get on the phone, call 911 and go, he's abusing me. Yeah. They're going to lock my ass up because I fucking busted my kid's ass. You know, it's so now these youngsters go, we're invisible. Yeah. We do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. And then when they get called out on it, it was somebody else's fault because there's yeah. no accountability. Yeah. Well, and that leads into an identity crisis, which we're facing is nobody knows who the fuck they are. They yeah. want to belong to a category. I want to be a fucking pronoun now because I, oh, yeah. I don't even know what the fuck I am. Zimzer, Zimzer, it's like whatever the fuck that is. Yeah, you identify, now you have to identify with a category whether left, right and we're all being broken down and divided into fucking I identify places. as a fucking chipmunk today. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you, should, you should get your rights. You should have rights. Right? <laughs> yeah. Fucking chipmunk rights. They're, they're fucking <laughs> killing this country. And you know, what I see is the problem is people are afraid to get off the couch and do something now because they're afraid of being called something, of being called a racist or a fucking Nazi or whatever, a baby killer or whatever. You know what? Like I said, Dillagaff. (laughs) You know, and people are also looking for the leaders, for the right cause and the just cause and purpose the purpose to follow and you know I didn't mean to become a leader but if that's my fucking goal in life is to fucking stand up and say look one person can do something if you want to help 
follow me. I was never a fucking follower, and I never will be, you know? And, it's, it's, and because of what we're doing down there, we know we can do even more good. We've recently filed for our 501, and uh, because the majority of the makeup of the people who come out are former military and law enforcement, and my guys, uh, in the past six months, I've had six of my guys come forward, you know, and tell me, hey, you know, and these guys are half my age. I turn 59 in 10 days. And I smoke a pack of cigarettes a day and I'll still get out there and fucking kick their ass going up the mountains. But they, they say I'm not human. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not right. You smoke going up a fucking mountain carrying gear and you're just not right. But uh, these guys are half my age. They've done five combat tours. You know, I've never done combat. So I don't know what's going through their mind. But I got a general idea. I know. And, uh, but they've come to me and said, you know, you've saved my fucking life with this organization. I go, well, how's that? And they go, I was going to be one of those 22, and I decided to fill out an application and come out and check it out. And he said, it was what I was looking for. It gave me a purpose again. It gave me a reason to live. It's the brotherhood, the camaraderie of other guys who've lived it, breathed it, dealt with it. And I can sit and talk instead of going to the fucking VA with somebody who learned about this shit in the university for four or five years and wears a white lab coat and tells you, okay, here, it's a prescription. Take those fuckers and get out of here. Yeah. So with the 501, what we want to do is buy some land and uh, expand and bring in more veterans with PTSD. Get them off the fucking dope the government has them on. And then get them out into the mountains so they, because my guys still live in the city who we've helped save. And uh, they say that they know now they can deal with that organized chaos that's in the city. Mm -hmm. But once they reach a certain point, they get on the telephone and go, dude, I need to come down. It's like, bring your ass anytime. Yeah. And they come down, they'll stay three, seven, ten days, whatever they need to reground and get their purpose back mm -hmm. to be able to go back and deal with what I call the big shitty, yeah. you know, and, uh, it's, it's a, I never, you know, thought that, uh, what I was doing would help more people, but I know that we can do more and we can help more people. And that's what we got to do again as a country. We rely upon the government way too motherfucking much now. Like I said, we've lost our sense of community. We need to start looking out for ourselves again. Like when I was a kid, every fucking house up and down the street knew who I was. And that little old lady stepped out of the house and go, I'm going to tell your mom you keep that shit up. And fucking, okay, hey. Accountability. Yeah, you know, and so we can do more good and we can help the country even more. And without burdening, you know, and become a bigger and stronger community. And along with that, I got a pit bull. First pit bull I've ever owned. I've had him now for, he's almost six years old. This is the best fucking dog I ever had, but he was a rescue. You know, and I had him since he was, fucking he could barely walk. And he's with me, he's not with me today because he was, he's like, 
you're an asshole. You don't like to run the AC in the trucks in summertime. So. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't like to ride with me in the truck in the summertime because it's too fucking hot. But I'll do it when I have to go on long trips. Uh, but he's with me every day when I'm out there. When I feel like giving up and I just want to quit and walk away and shit, he's just like, you know, he brings me the ball and says, let's throw the ball and then he'll run and jump in the truck. It's like, dude, we need to get back out in the mountains. Let's do it. And so I'll grab my camera bag with all my trail cams and I'll throw them in the truck and I get back out in the mountains. I go, that's right. Now I remember why I'm here and why I'm doing this. And uh, we can do more. But what holds us back is ourselves. We let ourselves get in the way of what we can accomplish and what we can do and what we can achieve. You know, because most people nowadays are afraid of change. And they're comfortable in their misery because they know what to expect day in and day out. I'm gonna have to get in my fucking car and sit in bullshit traffic for two hours to go to a suck-ass job, get in my car, go suck-ass back, and instead of just going, you know what, I'm sick of this shit. That's what I did. I'm sick of this shit. What is out there? You know, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I just said, I gotta do something. At least if I try and I fail, I tried. Mm -hmm. You know? But now I'm going into my, this is my eighth year. And uh, it's, it's, yeah. But you have to take those chances. Right. If you don't, you're just going to be a very good tax-paying surf. Sheeple. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Next in September, I'm going to talk in D.C. to two fucking huge rallies. And one of the rallies, uh, there's supposed to be some of the Trump's people at the rally. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, well, we're going to see if we can introduce you to them, mm. these people. Mm-hmm. So that maybe, you know, and that, when I first started this, my goal was to stop all the illegals from coming, be, taking the jobs that Americans do do. Mm-hmm. Then it turned into... All right, let's go after the cartel's pocketbook. But the other part of it is the media and the getting the word out and to let people know. So uh, if I have to fly to D.C. to talk to 10,000 to 100,000 people, then fucking A, you know? People need to know what's really going on. The the box on the wall is never going to tell you what... Yeah, right? We did, already there, know that. A, they don't t- tell you anything, right? <laughs> Even if it's world-breaking, world-breaking, it's only a three-day lifespan. Then right. they move on to something else. Unless it's their narrative, then they'll keep beating that shit for months. Right. It's like, an example is, you can ask anybody right now, what's happening in Fukushima? Most people can't even tell you where the fuck Fukushima is. <laughs> I know it's in Japan, and I know they Fuku? had the, the yeah they had the uh, well the name stuck with me. I was like fuck Yushima, got it. Uh, <laughs> no. But the nuclear reactors, right? Stuff. So it's still happening. Yeah, they're getting ready to release. That's not Whose me. Phone is that? Oh, that's Gunfu's. <laughs> uh, so you know it's still happening, and they're getting ready to release something like. Uh, 200 million gallons of highly toxic water 
that they can't store anymore. Right. And then they're going to do the same thing, store it until they can't store anymore and dump it. But the media doesn't report on it, so it's not happening. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sad that people won't do any research or anything like that. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully this year we can, like I said, get our 501, start purchasing land, getting the veterans in. They can also help uh, down at the line. Sure. And then we have partners up in, I've been talking to in Phoenix, that uh, if they want to come back and do the regular life, uh, they'll teach them in the uh, up-and-coming renewable uh, construction fields. Um, solar, wind, yeah, shit like that. Yep. So. All right, Tim, let's, let's uh, we're going to wrap it up, but I'm going to ask you a couple questions from okay. people that I got on social media. Cause yeah, dude, so, I could talk for days. About some people, <laughs> it's all interesting. I love it. Like, it's you great, covered yeah. my, I was going to ask you about mindset, but you, you eloquently described it. Well, you have to, uh, you guys are going to have to come down and see it for yourself. Yeah, man. I'm, uh, I, I think that'd be a good idea. Um, so here's, here's a question. Um, it's from Northeast underscore gunfighter from our uh, social media feed, but he says, Hey, uh, have you gotten into any gunfights? And then, uh, the second part to that, has he successfully used any tracking slash search dogs to find anybody? Uh, firefights? No. I mean, when you do it right with the, the way we do it, we'll set a team here and a team there. We have run into guys with, uh, weapons, but when you close the box on them and you got guys sitting high ground on both sides of the trail and yeah. you tell them drop the motherfucking weapon or die, they're pretty much going to drop the weapon or die. Yeah. And uh, we wear body cameras to. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. But for that's what I mean. Like people are well, the level of woodwork. the level of accountability that you've integrated into the organization, self-integrated, yeah. Right. And what people are, you know, obviously assholes because describing. I, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in a six by eight. Yeah, I, so I, totally I understand. If that. I know the guy's coming and he got a gun, or I see him, he got a gun. Boom! That GoPro's going on. Yeah. And same with every one of my guys. They'll. Everybody springs for a body cam. Search dogs, um, no, we don't use dogs much. I have my dog, but that's because 90% of the time I'm up there by myself and I use him to watch his body language mm -hmm. of what's going on on the trail because his sense of smell, yeah. uh, hearing and everything else. Uh, when I'm tracking, my head's down and I could glance up every once in a while at what he's doing and he'll let me know if shit's happening in front of me or behind me. Yeah. But... Uh, Dogs, it's a really tough terrain, and with the heat, right. Border Patrol will only run their dogs in the summertime, maybe for 15 minutes before they have to get them back and get them back in. Yeah, heat yeah, yeah. casualties. <laughs> yeah. Um, you already answered this, but it's uh, from small town um, Utah gal. She says, what is the percentage of families looking for a better life that he could see coming through compared to cartel and drugs? And you broke that down, but you say about 2% or actually families One, trying to... Well, those are, those are males coming through. If you actually get families, I would say, you know, the 85 drug, 15 uh, human, mm -hmm. and out of the 15% human, maybe 1, maybe 2% of that is something that resembles a fucking family. Yeah. Which is... You know, a wife being, I got a, I do have a video of a woman and uh, she, I looked at the video and I was going, she's never going to make it because they were only a mile and a half in and she was already hanging on to her uh, spouse's pack of food wow. and he's dragging her and I was going, 
you only in a mile and a half and you're in the flat ground. Yeah. Uh, but now I'd say less than less than one percent is anything that resembles the terrain is too brutal there for families. Yeah. You know, used to do it. They tried it a few years ago uh, when I first got there, and uh, I ran into a, a family unit and within the group and when I told them to sit down and you know ask them if they they're a little fucking kid he might have been 10 years old but the, he was just bouncing off the fucking walls and I said what is up with this kid and they go well they gave him something to keep up and I asked them, what the did you give him they gave this 10 year old meth so that he would keep up with the adults wow not surprised yeah yeah um so one so one guy goes um uh, how does he feel about people? Some vets included think that he's playing army. Uh, I've seen you do. I've seen you take. He's seen you take a lot of heat on social media. How do you handle criticism for? I mean, it's probably the same way we handle it. We just fucking blow it off and we just ignore it. But how do you handle that criticism that you do? Oh, the, you know, I get that a lot from the left. If you want to join the military and play army, then join the military. Well, I did. Yeah. So fuck off. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, coming from somebody who's probably never served in their <laughs> oh, yeah. fucking life. And it's yeah. like, you know what? And they watch CNN. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Facts. Period. That's all. That's the end of that sentence. They, they're part of the John Brown Gun Club. What? You know who they are? No. That's the Antifa's fucking armed wing. Oh, oh, boy. Oh, we know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we've seen the that YouTube videos. They, yeah, they, it is scary. They have them here in Phoenix. I follow they them. have YouTube. They're all over oh, yeah. YouTube. Um, what advice would you give people who live in and around border towns and cities? Uh, pretty much uh, make sure you have uh, the Border Patrol's direct number, not to their 800 dispatch. And uh, to keep your, it's all situational awareness. I mean, I call in a lot of vehicles because if you're in a small town, you know what vehicles belong there and what don't belong there. You'll get a lot of uh, vehicle loadouts. And it's like in my area, it's like, Look at that. Fucking driving a Mercedes down this old beat up fucking dirt road and shit. It's like, you don't belong here. Yeah. yeah. And so I'll see how long it takes for them to go in and come back out. And if he's back out in five minutes, I'm on the phone. Hey, you might want to watch this car coming out. Uh, situational awareness. Uh, you know. Uh, have you found the cartels using effective night vision devices yet? No, not down. They don't have to. When uh, The only thing moving down there is at nighttime is Border Patrol and basically us. Mm-hmm. We are probably the only other people that are allowed to drive around without getting stopped every time. They know our vehicles and they'll just drive by and wave. Awesome. Whereas anybody else driving down there at nighttime, they're, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. And so when you're sitting high ground... I told and, you that was my experience leaving the southern border out of that area of ground sensors. We actually got pulled over. I, I don't know if I ever told you that story. Yeah, so it was kind of they crazy. They pulled you up. Oh, yeah, they pulled us over and they're like, hey, man, we know you were down by the border. What the fuck are you guys doing down there? Which, you know, I mean, that was an interesting process in it of itself just uh i didn't know there were fucking sensors down there it was the first time i've ever been down that way so <coughs> yeah they uh basically the scouts sitting up high they barely trust them with a fucking decent set of binoculars and a decent radio you know uh, because these guys are sitting up there for two weeks at a time smoking weed doing meth and so you don't want to hand them Three to five thousand dollar set of fucking MVGs when all they have to do is look for headlights that they can see for 20 yeah. miles. Yeah. You know, and Border Patrol at nighttime, when they're on foot, they got 
thousand plus loom flashlights that they're lighting up the fucking world with. You know, we we run bumps with the drop down night vision so we can pump the trails without using it. Nice. But these, I mean, there's no need to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I get that asked a lot, you know. What about night vision? Oh, they got to be using this. They don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, same with like jihadist or Taliban shitheads. <laughs> It's like they don't have to when they grow up there and they can see in the fucking dark. Oh, yeah. It's like they have their own nightmares because they, they literally don't grow up with it. Yep. And so they, they, they use the loom from the moon to fucking yep. see. Well, that's down where I'm at now. I mean, I've been down there so long, I don't need night vision. Yeah. When I'm yeah. out humping at night. Mm-hmm. And people are going, dude, how in the fuck you do that? I just go, I don't know. It's just fucking, well, I'm not there. around the city lights or anything. Yeah. After eight years of being here, it's fucking easy. Yeah. Awesome. You know, the last uh, question would be from us as a company and uh, kind of what we're into, which is survival. And we, we actually do a video on our YouTube series about like, hey, we take some guy's uh, blowout bag or their go bag, and then we wrap, we wrap fuck it and talk about all the things that are inside of it. it uh, for your go bag, for what you carry when you're out there doing long range reconnaissance or movements, what, is your, what are the staples of that bag? What are the things that are the most important in that bag for you? Uh, spam slices and pop tarts. Hell yeah! <laughs> Figured it, dude. You're making me hungry. I knew it was gonna be a good. I actually one, want that. I knew this was gonna be a good answer based off of the conversation he and I had outside. He's like, I can fucking smoke cigarettes out on these motherfuckers. Oh yeah, yeah, man. Fucking extra cigarettes. Carton them. We did. Uh, three of us did a. Uh, we did a ten mile hump. Uh, we were checking multiple trails and. Uh, we were going to go farther and we hit this one spot and we decided to stop and we're having a cigarette. It's like, fuck, we got to get back to the fob. We're 10 miles out. Little do the bad guys fucking... know the limiting factor is motherfucking cigarettes. Yeah. So there I you go. I got two there's fucking your, cigarettes there's left. There's your nugget of intel off this podcast. <laughs> if you separate Tim and his smokes, you're winning. Yeah, yeah. But, Watch, uh, the fucking cartel is going to buy all the cigarettes out like in a hundred mile radius around you and you're going to be like, Fuck. Yeah. We'll ship these though. We'll fly. So, what else do we carry? I mean, I, I, uh, I always carry extra chewing gum. That's to keep the moisture in your mouth while you're humping so you don't drink as much water. Um, carry med kit with all kinds of stupid shit in it. I carry a boo boo kit and a fucking blowout kit. Yeah. Uh, Tourniquets and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, quick clot or yeah. whatever else I can get my hands on. Uh, sutures, uh, fucking. Sam splints, shit like that. You never know when you fucking bust a leg or shit like that. But uh, no, I carry. I can make two and a half liters of water last a minimum of two days, and uh, if I need to go longer. I know where all the water drops are, so we can get that. You just use the humanitarian's resupply points. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a humanitarian resupply, so for people. (laughs) My dog knows that uh, what the food buckets are. When he sees them, he starts (laughs) headbutting the food buckets. He's like, "Open that fucker up." Let's see if uh, we got the fucking Vienna sausages. Sure enough, we get Vienna sausage. He has Vienna sausage. <laughs> yeah. He gets water. Yeah. I get water. I take you know all the Well, that's a two-way street, right? I mean, if oh, it's yeah. going to be dropped, you're a human. They're humans. It's yeah. humanitarian. It's all peace, peace love. Yeah. Well, my dog drinks. That's how I had to learn to make two and a half liters last me two days because my dog, you know, he can't do that. Yeah. So he has to drink every so often, and he's learned how to drink out of a Camelback. So he drinks about ninety-five percent of my water. Yeah. So every 
summertime, I have to know where the water drops are so I can get to them and resupply. And the only one other good thing is he can drink that nasty fucking stagnated cow tank water. Yeah. You know, and uh, he sees water, man. He's, fuck, there's no stopping Yeah, oh, he's all in. <laughs> oh, yeah. I sit there and I'm jealous. It's like, fuck, 110 degrees <laughs> out. I wish I could go in that nasty yeah, yeah. Shit. But, no. So, Tim, how do, how do people uh, get a hold of you? Where's your website? Like, uh, where's points of contact if they want to donate or if they want to uh, contact you to volunteer? Uh, everything is on our website, uh, ArizonaBorderRecon.org. We have a different pages. One's a volunteer page. Uh, one is a donate page. One is Intel. You can look at some of that shit. Uh, we... I've slowed down on posting. It's just too time fucking consuming to try to keep up to date oh, with yeah, what's we going on. <laughs> oh, yeah. We live uh, in that world. Yeah. And then uh, I've shut down the application process until fall because, like I say, I'm going. I just did a tour into California. I'm doing this, then I'm going to DC. So I handle all the applications and shit like that. So I had to put it on hold while I. Uh, and I've got a backlog of probably 50 I have to still get to yeah you know and uh, so that's on there we also our donate is there you can also donate uh, we have it's called uh, on PayPal donate at ArizonaBorderRecon.org and then uh, we have a YouTube channel okay where you can see some of the shit we see yeah uh, it's called ArizonaBorderRecon.org and our YouTube channel also, Arizona Puerto Rico. I hate doing social fucking media, but <laughs> it is what it is. Well, it helps the cost. We too. Have it helps to. expose, especially exposure, and we'll do our best to put yeah. out the, yeah. I mean, the links and everything else. Uh, you want to know what's really going on with poor women and children and everybody who wants a better life? It's an awesome website called IllegalAlienCrimeReport.com. Look at the amount of shitbags that are in this country and what the hell they're doing. They just, uh, I posted one yesterday from uh, Breitbart mm -hmm. and uh, it'll end up on the illegal alien. But this dude was deported June 25th uh, and they just busted him uh, two days ago in California. And he has multiple felonies in Bakersfield and Santa Cruz, California, for one of them is uh, raping a 10-year-old. And it's like, why the fuck is this guy still not in jail? And how do you just fucking deport him so that he walks another mile then walks back in? Yeah. It's a revolving door. It's not a border. And we see it every day. It's disgusting. You know, I mean, I don't, did you bring that up? I did. I just, in fact, it was the first thing that popped. This is a legal alien from Guatemala caught distributing child pornography. Yeah, that's another one. Oh, that's another one. And uh, Arab man smuggled six Yemenis across U.S.-Mexico border. Five-time deported, convicted of third DUI. A group of seven men who robbed Texas Joy Store are all legal. I mean, this is... It goes on and on. Yeah, it goes on They and started on. tracking back in uh, 2014. And it seems to be that uh, North Carolina is the sexual, illegal alien sexual predator fucking capital of the United States. Wow. For some unknown reason, they are getting fucking hammered. Hmm. Yep. But 
all these stories are out of the NC, all the, the uh, child molester ones are out of the NC. Yep. Well, Damn. Tim, I appreciate you coming on yep. the podcast. This is probably the most, this is definitely one of the most impactful podcasts for me podcasts. personally yeah. that we've done. So I appreciate the fact that you came and I want to know what's going on and I'm not going to pay attention to the news. I want to talk to people that do it for real. Yeah. Well, come on down. I'll show you the real. We need it. Yeah. That's why I, I think it'd be really cool to come down and actually, you know, bring more exposure to, to the cause, which is uh, a noble one, which yeah. is like, you know, laced in reality, right? Because it's, it's real. And, and people who, you know, and I get the impression that people who are questioning you or people who are, um, you know, being controversial and they have a certain perception that you could clear that up really fast mm -hmm. and just spend Based some time off of facts you, on the ground. Just being with you and just and, uh, and being around you. So I think... That's something that me and Kurt would love to do. Maybe even do an overland course down there, and and have seriously have have guys have our people show up who are who are in the survival genre and just see what that is and and see the challenges that you face and you know we'll we'll do everything that we can to help you. So I appreciate well, you being here. I know a few survival tricks down there. <laughs> what to eat? You do. <laughs> what to eat? What not to eat? Well, yeah. even, I, that's what I mean too. I mean. We, we might uh, be able to collaborate on something, you know, training or something that might help you um, just help the cause. Sure. Whether it's logistics or training or whatever it may be, uh, you will definitely help you. Yeah. Well, we're self-funded, and so, you know, any and all help is much appreciated. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for being on. You bet. Thanks, Tim. Thank, Thank you. you for having me.